It's good to see you this morning. Um, I want to start kind of with a strange question. I, I know this is a, maybe not a normal beginning of a message, but I want, to, I want to start with this. How many of you at some point in your life, either now or before, have watched on more than one occasion, perhaps even were a fan of professional wrestling? Would you raise your hand for just a second if that's the case? Wow. All right, that's all I got. Everyone have a good day. Uh, how can I preach to a group of people who watch professional wrestling? When I was a, there was a resurgence of professional wrestling in the 80s, and I was one of those people who watched it in the, in the 80s. And I, I, uh, it was, I, I don't now, I have to confess, but I watched it in the 80s, and, and in doing so, I, I, I learned uh, a few things about life. And, uh, and I learned about a character uh, by the name of Andre the Giant, right? Now, the reason, uh, some of you are nodding your heads, you know Andre the Giant. There's actually a documentary right now on Andre the Giant. And, and so Andre the Giant was a very, not surprisingly, large man. Uh, he actually, he was, uh, he was actually had what was called giantism. It was a physical condition. Uh, some of you may not know Andre the Giant. Let me show you a couple pictures that'll help you to know who Andre the Giant is, because you may remember him from the, the Princess Bride, the greatest movie ever made. Um, one of the high points of culture in the world. Uh, and so, so this is Andre the Giant, and, um, and this is actually not, his size here is actually not caused by the distance from the camera. He was a big, big guy. Now, Andre the Giant, and I always sort of wondered, why did, uh, why don't others fear people as much as I would fear Andre the Giant? So, I mean, so, so he's so, he's so large, why don't others fear with this, Andre, I'll go to the next picture, and we'll take a look. So, I mean, here's, I mean, just, just, I mean, look at, look at the size of his hand, right? Right? And, uh, and again, so this is, I mean, he's a giant. His name's Andre. I mean, that in and of itself is frightening to me. And so, in the late, in the 80s, Andre the Giant became this key figure in all of wrestling. And, and there was actually a, another key figure by the name of Hulk Hogan. And so they actually had this feud that was going on. Far too many of you are nodding your head in knowledge of what I'm talking about. I kind of was thinking of people like, I've never heard of these things. All right, so, so, so in, in 1987, it was, it was Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan in WrestleMania three, which at that time was the largest gathering indoors ever held, WrestleMania three, and, and, and I, 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 I remember it, I remember watching this, and here's what I remember. I remember thinking, why would anyone get into a rink with Andre the Giant? I mean, this is your doom sealed the moment you walk in. His hands would envelop your head. I mean, so why would anybody, and actually what happens is our hero Hulk Hogan actually beats Andre the Giant, and keeps his title in WrestleMania 3. But here's the thing I want you to know. So why is it that people would get into the rink with Andre the Giant or any other professional wrestler? Here's, here's the thing I want you to know, okay? Um, some of these activities are actually pre-planned. People are walking out right now, and they're like, I'm done. I'm done. So some of these activities are actually pre-planned. Now, 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 again, it doesn't mean they don't hurt. I actually had the Red Rooster at my last church, Red Rooster. Those of you, again, follow wrestling, Terry Taylor uh, is his name, follower of Jesus. And, and he came to my last church, and I asked him, I said, Terry, is this stuff fake? And it says it 
it hurts like it's real. But the thing I want you to see is, is that for all of us, there is less fear when someone has a plan. So you can get into this, and if there's a plan, it's going to reduce your fear and my fear. Someone knows what's going on, someone knows what's going to happen, and in the process, the fear is reduced. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, because I want you to see how Jesus, in the midst of a series of teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, He's actually reminding us that somebody knows and somebody has a plan, and thus in the midst of the difficulty of life and the worries that come from life, we don't have to fear. And so the distinction here is made by Jesus throughout the Gospel of Matthew, but specifically here, all the way back to verse 25. Now, I'm not going to read verse 25 here, <clears throat> but I am going to start in verse 31, but I'm just going to look back at verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life or what you eat, what you'll drink about your body. And that's how it begins, right? And we've gone through this the last few weeks. In verse 28, it says, uh, consider the lilies of the field, right? And it goes on and it says in verse 30, but if God chose, uh, if God so clothes the grass of the field, how much more will he take care of you? Oh, you of little faith. And then we come to our passage, which you can look along in your Bible. Look here with me on the screen. It says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Now, again, this seems a little repeat, but I want you not to miss this. One of the most, one of the most powerful phrases in all of the Bible is actually in this verse. You say, but Ed, right at the beginning in this whole passage, he says, don't be anxious, and what shall we eat, what shall we drink? But here's, here's where it comes. Here's where the key comes, the unveiling of why, right? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them all. He knows that you need them all. So, so worry and stress, Jesus spends a significant amount of time here in the Sermon on the Mount talking about worry and stress, which ought to remind us that we would be inclined towards worry and stress. Every counselor, secular or Christian, knows that worry is bad for you. You should not worry about the future. It harms your present. And, but it's different for us because we know who holds the future. He has a plan. And because he has a plan, our posture is different. Last week, we talked about having confidence in God's providence, knowing that God has a plan. So now here's the distinction. The person who has a plan for us is not some promoter. The person who has a plan for us is our loving Father. Who has a plan for you? The Father. What type of plan is it? It's a good plan. How does the Father feel about you? He has infinite love for you. So three key sentences, short sentences, I want you not to miss today. Don't worry. You have a Father. He knows. And when you know these realities, don't worry. You have a Father. He knows. It changes everything. Now, why does that matter? Well, we're going to take a look at it, but we're going to notice too that the beginning of the verse, coming back over here, the beginning of the verse goes on. It says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Remember the context. We're at verse 31, but verse 30 is reminding us that God is going to take care and calls us to faith. Now, if you wouldn't mind, just go back to the last verse for just a second, because it says, therefore, 
Okay, so don't miss this. Go forward to the next verse. So here we go. We've got from Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Go to 30. Next phrase. There we go. But if God so close. So it ends with, O you of little faith. Go back. And it says the beginning, therefore. I want you to miss this. One of the questions we ask when we're reading the Bible is if there's a therefore in the Bible, we ask the question, what's it there for? Now, this is there for a reminder to us that God has called us to faith and to trust in Him. See, the world is worried for a lot of reasons, but one reason the world is worried is because they don't have a father that they know loves them. Worry we've talked about last time is prayer in reverse. It focuses, takes the focus off of God and puts it onto our own issues, right? It, it mediates and concerns itself, meditates and concerns itself with the things of the world. That's what worry does and ignores the Father who loves us. So we all worry, we know that, we all worry, uh, but worry for a Christian does not make sense. Now let me show you some statistics, right? So uh, here's, here's actually a statistic, we'll put it up on the screen here. Our worry, uh, when we talk about worry, uh, this, this is cited all over the place, I'll tell you where it's from at the end. So our worry, 40% of the things we worry about never happen. 30% of the things we worry about concerns the past, 12% of the things needless worries about our health, and 10% are insignificant or petty. Now that's a lot of worrying, that's a lot of wasted time. Now actually about 8% of things have some bearing on our concern. Now when I was doing research for this message, I found these stats quoted everywhere. But for the last 10 years, before I moved to Chicago, I ran a statistics company called Lifeway Research. So I wanted to know where these stats came from. And I got to tell you, it's hard because every preacher in the world seems to have quoted these stats. So here's where they come from. Are you ready? They come from a fiction book, and it's totally made up. (laughs) So consider this a parable for just a moment about worry. Right? I want you to miss this because 87% of statistics are made up on the spot. And so here's the stats. But I actually think, I mean, there's some, this is in the, in the book, it's actually taken from this, this, uh, this, her grandfather would tell her this. And so, so, so again, but why, why? Because we know, we, we resonate. Why do so many preachers quote this? Because it kind of resonates with us. Most of what we worry about is a waste of time. So we're going to look today about how do we respond to that. Worry, I'm going to talk about today, feeds idolatry. I'll explain in just a bit. But if we believe God is sovereign, the therefore that follows, oh, you little faith, therefore is there for a reason, and it's a reminder, well, that don't worry, you have a father, he knows. Right now, now I'm not saying it's always easy. I believe that God's sovereign, but I still worry about my kids, right? Now, now what does that teach us? That teaches us we need to, as we talked about last time, consistently give it over to Jesus. At the beginning of the service, we saw many of you are first-time guests. You can always go back. If you go to moodychurch.org, you can always go back and follow along with the past messages as well. So let's take a look at our outline. It's a simple outline. It's a super simple outline. So we're going to take a look at number one in our outline. First, Jesus tells us not to worry. Couldn't get any simpler than that, right? He says this, therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Now, if you remember, this is in verse 31, but in 30, it ends with, but God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
don't be anxious saying these things. So, because God cares for you, therefore, you should not be anxious. You have a father. Don't miss this. Don't worry. You have a father. He knows. He knows. Now, now again, remember, too, that this is not an economy where people are literally wondering tomorrow, what will they eat, uh, what will they drink, or what will they wear? Okay, that's a a subsistence economy. They're not living in that where they're going from meal to meal, from shelter to shelter. There are still people around the world, even some in Chicago, not the vast majority here, but that was not the common practice in that day. Most of them had places to go home at night. They had clothes in something resembling a closet. There was food in storehouses. And this, so why would Jesus say these things? Because he's pointing to the root of our worry. The root of our worry is, are we going to have enough of the things that we need to eat? Are we going to have enough of the things we need to drink? And are we going to, maybe are we going to look like we have enough because of what we wear? Don't do it. Now, it's actually a command in the original language. It's, it's do not be anxious. Remember, oh, you have little faith, therefore, do not be anxious. Strong language saying these things. Don't be anxious. Why? Because worry equals fear. And fear is rooted in the lack of acknowledgement that God is sovereign, God is in control, God will provide. Therefore, don't be anxious. Fear not. Now, don't miss this. The most frequent command in the Bible is actually fear not. Maybe that might surprise you. The most frequent thing we're told to do in the Bible is fear not. So why avoid fear so much? Well, because fear feeds in our lives idolatry because we're looking to something else. Idols are anything, we're going to talk about this in a minute, idols are anything that takes the place of God, and worry puts our focus on something else rather than on God, right? It's focused on our stuff rather than our Savior. Now, again, we can pursue these things. Now, I want you to, for example, I want all of us to work hard as we can and to, and to pursue success. I don't think that's a bad thing, but when that becomes an idol in our life, it becomes the thing that we value more than anything else, right? So, so, so Jesus tells us not to worry. Instead, He calls us to trust in Him. So again, idols take the place of God in our life, and a whole lot of things can be made into an idol. You can take money, which can be used in a good way for the glory of God, turn into the idol when your life is pursuing that. You can take sex, which God made for His purposes and in His design. You can pursue it in a way that makes it an idol, and everything else gets sacrificed for it. Reputation. The Bible speaks about us having a good reputation. You can pursue it at all costs and make it an idol in your life. Now, why does that matter? Because we're going to see that Jesus ties worry to idolatry in a way that's important for us to hear because He wants us, this is key, Jesus wants us to focus on God, not on the things about which we worry. Now, now, now what's the answer, right? Well, we see this in the Bible. Notice the contrast, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious. This is Paul writing in Philippians. uh, Same same Bible, uh, same inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't be anxious about anything, okay? But notice the contrast, right? Because Jesus is telling us that you're going to worry about things. Why? Because you've taken your eyes off your Savior and put them on your stuff. So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So the contrast is, what are your eyes on? Are you anxious about things or are you looking to Christ? 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So don't, so don't miss this, right? It says, what do you do? Don't be anxious. Instead, what you're going to do is you're going to pray and notice, to God, to God, to Christ Jesus God. So over and over again, the answer is turning a different direction. Right? Why? Because he has a plan. We don't have to worry. God's in control. Now, if he's in control but doesn't care for you, that's a problem. So there's more. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So don't miss this, right? You have a, right? You, there's no reason to worry. Don't worry. You have a father. He knows. And so Jesus is laying out for us these truths, but it doesn't end there. Here's where some of the depth of the passage is that I want us not to miss here. It says this, number two, worry is idolatry. Worry is idolatry. You say, Ed, where's that? Well, here's what it says. It says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Now, we use in our church the ESV. That's a wonderful English translation of the Bible. Uh, there, there are others that are, uh, that, are, that are similarly. Some are more formal. Some are less formal. They're all translated from the original language, Greek, Hebrew, and a little bit of others. Uh, but they're all translated from, from the original language, and sometimes they're more uh, specific on certain things. Let's, let's, let's take a look, right? Here, just different translations here. If we look at the NIV for the Gentiles, the NIV says, for the pagans seek after these things. The NLT says, for unbelievers uh, seek after these things. The HCSB says, for idolaters seek after these things. And the ESV says Gentiles. Now, when you see different Bible translations translating a word differently, it doesn't mean that God's word is not trustworthy. They're translating them from the same original language, right? Sometimes the same manuscript. But this word is kind of a tricky word to translate. So this word kind of speaks to not just Gentiles, but by the basis of what they do, they're idolatrous Gentiles. So the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, actually would translate it idolaters to express who they were. Now, why is that there? Well, again, because idolatry is what's going on here. So our translation, our ESV, says, uh, says Gentiles, right? But it's the Gentiles seeking after these things instead of seeking after God. It's those who are pursuing and putting in God's place things that they worry about. And worry, right, is common throughout the Scripture. But here's my find interesting. So idolatry is the most frequently mentioned sin in the Bible. Now let's take a look at 1 John 5, 21. It says this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, Again, some of you, we have people from 70 different countries here at Moody Church, and so, so some of you will think back and you'll say, okay, so we're talking about the idol that we saw in the religion of my ancestors, right? Some idolatrous expression that was carved out of stone or out of wood that we would pray to. And, and yes, it does relate to that in, a, in the Old Testament in particular, by the time we get to the New Testament, idolatry is taken on a different description. Matter of fact, by the time we're in 1 John chapter 5, again, you can see it on our screen, 1 John 5, 21, by the time we're to here, there's not a lot of stone or wood idols in people's homes. What we're talking about here is taking a good thing, right, focusing on it like it's a God in our lives, which is the definition of idolatry. 
Now, again, Jesus, though, is going to tie this, we're going to see, to worry. See, worry is idolatry. So when you begin to worry about things, let's say you worry about your success. Now, what do idols do? Idols want sacrifices, right? They want you to sacrifice to them. So let's say success is an idol. Now, let's move away from the idea, though these things are real and do exist. But for most of us, we're not talking about a stone-carved idol. But success can be an idol, and what happens is, is that success at my work could lead me, if it's idolatry in my life, to sacrifice some things to the idol of success. And first, it might be my time with my spouse. And so I begin to sacrifice, in my case, I pursue success, and I sacrifice my relationship with my spouse. And, but idols are never satisfied with one thing. And so what happens after that is now, it's, now the idol wants the sacrifice of time and relationship with my children. And so I'm, I put that on the altar of sacrifice. Or maybe it's my physical health or it's the worry and the fear that I have. And the idols are never satisfied and the worry invades and overwhelms our lives. Do we have enough? Am I successful enough? Maybe it's not success. Maybe it's money. Do I have enough? Will I have enough? What about this? So worry is idolatry because we're putting something in the place of God in our lives and worrying about it every day. So again, our hearts get trapped in worry, stress, and fear. So we've got to guard our hearts. Actually, the Bible tells us that in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, and for from it flow the springs of life. So we've got our guide our hearts, but our hearts, don't you miss this, right? Because of worry, we don't keep our hearts. We sing a song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. This is our natural state. Worry is idolatry. We're all natural idolaters. John Calvin put it this way. He says, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Our hearts are idol factories. And as we create and manufacture idols that catch our attention, worry accompanies those attentions because worry drives us to idolatry. And Jesus says, don't worry. You have a Father. He knows. Well, let's not miss that part. This is the most beautiful part of the verse. Number three in our outline is knowing our Father overcomes worry. Here's the the whole outline today. Jesus tells us not to worry. Worry is idolatry. And then lastly, knowing our Father overcomes worry. Knowing our Father overcomes worry. Let's take a look at it. It says this, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows, right? Your heavenly Father knows. Would you just say those four words out loud with me? Let's say them together. Your heavenly Father knows. Say it again. Your heavenly Father knows. You see, don't worry, right? You have a Father he knows. And so that changes everything. So, so the struggle with worry doesn't really go away until you set it right with Jesus. He reigns supreme over your lives. There's not an idol drawing you away. And it's the deep knowledge that your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them all. See, the solution to worry is not to stop worrying. See, that's what some people think. They think, i got to just stop worrying, and I can't, I can't stop thinking about something. Let me give you an example. What, everyone in the room, don't think of the number seven. It's like a flaming ball of seven in your eyes right now. But add three to it. 
Divide it by two, and hopefully you're thinking of a new thing. <laughs> See, you're replacing it. It's a basic principle, right? You replace it, so five becomes the focus of my life. You want to get worry out of your life, get idols out of your life. When you get idols out of your life, you look at the true God of all the universe, and guess what? You don't have to worry because you have a Father, and He knows. And it changes, changes everything. The solution to worry is faith in the fatherhood of God. Look at Luke 12, 32. Fear not, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't miss the connection between how often fear not is used in the Bible and how often idolatry is mentioned in the Bible. There's a deep connection between the two because what happens is your idolatry causes you to pursue things that take your attention off of your Father, and you don't need to worry because you have a father, and he knows, and it changes everything. And your father is not another idol who demands things from you, but he gives you good things, eternal life, peace that passes all understanding. He gives you his kingdom, and if he does this, then we don't have to fear. We, we have the blessing to believe. Now, let me say, this is key, because God doesn't say it's all going to be easy. And there's not going to be difficulty and pain uh, in our life. The promise is, is that God's going to know and His presence is going to be there. And so that faith drives out fear, and faith in a sense drives you forward, right, to Christ. Fear can drive you forward, but faith draws you to Him. And when you have this understanding, don't worry, you have a Father, He knows you'll move away from worry and fear and you'll move towards trust and faith. But you have to believe and know a Father who loves you. Now, if you're, if you're here today or if you're watching online, you may be at the place in your life where these ideas to you have not been actualized because you know there's a heavenly Father. You know that He loves you, but you have not responded to His work by sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and in your place. So you are not in a relationship with a heavenly Father in that way, and therefore, well, when, when, when I say, don't worry, you have a Father, He knows. You're kind of like, I, I don't know Him. So I don't want you to leave today or stop watching today without the possible acknowledgement that one of the reasons you're living in worry and moving from idol to idol is because you don't know a Father who loves you. He knows you have not responded to, to Him. I've shared with you before that growing up in a broken home with an alcoholic dad has kind of skewed my view of what a father looks like. Um, and so, you know, again, for me, part of that is I, I, I would sometimes look back, you know, another documentary out right now is Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers was, in a sense, my, my uh, substitute dad. Um, in some ways, I want to, you know, I want to be like that dad. Or, or, or maybe I, I think of, I think of, um, uh, you know, Father Knows Best, or I think of some of the reruns I watched of Leave it to Beaver when they came home, and, and I want to be, I want to be like Ward Cleaver. I want to I come home and have dinner in a suit and tie and have Donna bring it out in pearls and a dress. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. Um, but I needed to know what a loving father looked like, and now, don't you miss this, I have a wonderful, loving relationship with the father, so for me, I don't have to worry because I have a Father and He knows. Now, it doesn't mean that, that everything's always perfect and always easy. 
I've been listening to the, a musical soundtrack uh, recently. It's called Hamilton. And uh, Hamilton's a, uh, uh, it's playing just down the road here at, the, uh, local, at a local theater. And it's kind of a famous, the rage. Uh, and I'm listening to the clean version just so we got that out there so I wouldn't get letters. Uh, it's not all, not all what I would uh, rush out and recommend. Um, but, but I'm also now reading the biography I just bought it. I shouldn't say I'm reading it. It's sitting on my desk, so I'm, I'm in my mind. I have begun reading it because I've looked at the cover. And, uh, but in a couple of weeks, my family and I are going to, uh, on some vacation, I'm going to read this biography when I'm there. But one of the things I've learned a little bit, you know, we know who Alexander Hamilton is. He's on our money. But you may not know his wife, Eliza. And it's an interesting story because Hamilton's faith is, is not evident or present and, and certainly debated by historians, but Eliza's faith is not. Um, her deeply committed Christian faith is not debated. But, you know, we talk about some of the, some of the challenges and the struggles, and as we talk about it, I can't, I can't promise you that, that everything's going to be okay, because I look at somebody like Eliza who's now an historic figure, and people are singing songs with her names in it all over the place. I heard it driving down the road, someone blaring it in their car. The, the Acton Institute describes this, before turning 50, Eliza has been publicly humiliated by a cheating husband, became a widow, lost both her parents, lost her oldest child in a, uh, to a duel, and then watched her oldest daughter lose her mind. And we know that she lost her husband also to a duel. Now, now it's interesting if you listen to, and once you start, I've been listening to the soundtrack, and once I get a soundtrack in my head, I can't stop listening to it. And you don't get a lot of hints about Eliza's faith. Uh, there's one point in a song near the end of the musical. It says, there are moments that the words don't reach. Talking about some of the pain and some of the difficulty, right? And this is the reality because some of you can say, you know, I can relate to that. I've been through some of the challenges and the pain and the difficulty. She goes on and says, there are moments that the words don't reach, but then there's a grace too powerful to name. And it's one of the few hints you get in the whole soundtrack that speaks to something of the deep abiding faith of Eliza. She would actually have her kids read a chapter of the Bible or sometimes an historical example each morning. She was deeply committed to prayer. She would actually go on and found a Christian orphanage in New York City and all of these things. And Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, on the, on the day he was going out, he writes before the duel that he has where he loses his life. He, 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 in, in the musical, it's, it's the title of the song is, well, it's a do, the best of wives and best of women, speaking to Eliza. But, but we kind of miss the, the, the fullness. Here's what he writes in that note before he dies. He says to Eliza, maybe not knowing it fully himself, the consolations of religion, my beloved, can alone support you. And these you have a right to enjoy. Fly to the bosom of your God and be comforted. With my last idea, I will, shall cherish the sweet hope of meeting you in a better world. Adieu, best of wives and best of women. Embrace all my darling children for me. Now, we don't see that. She goes on and lives 50 years after he dies and really becomes a force in so many ways, speaking out against slavery. Again, I mentioned starting this orphanage and more. But what I don't want you to miss is this is a woman who from any standard has lived a life full of difficulty and even the husband who was driven by the idolatry of being in a room where it happens. Even the husband knew that, knew that she had a father, and he knows 
So he would say, find the comfort and consolation there. You see, when we look to the Scriptures, what we find is, is not a present, a promise that we will be completely present in happiness all of our lives. And I, I think that's a silly thing that a lot of people believe, and it's a lot of times some preachers preach on television. But here's the thing I want you to hear. I can't, I can't say to you that knowing that you shouldn't worry, because don't worry, you, you have a father and he knows. I can't say to you that that's true. But I can say to you that you can trust the Lord. It says this, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. See, knowing your father, acknowledging him, redirects you from idols to confidence in providence, right? Confidence in providence that God has a plan. Now, not only, and that's why you can face sometimes some really scary things. <laughs> Just like going into that ring. Man, if you know that there's a plan, you go in with a different level of confidence. But if you know there's a plan from a loving father, who sent his son to die on the cross for your sin and in your place. And you can say, I don't worry. I have a father, and he knows. And so verses like 1 Peter chapter 5, we looked at it earlier. Let's end with it, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, I, I, I'm not going to cast my anxieties on someone who doesn't care for me, but I don't have to worry. Don't miss it, right? Don't worry. You have a father. He knows. The fact that he knows changes everything. Doesn't mean it's all easy. But he's going to be there. He knows now. That's what Jesus is telling us. I mean, listen to the words of Jesus. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Would you just read this out loud with me? Three simple sentences. Ready? Don't worry. You have a father. He knows. He knows. And because he's a good, good father, I don't have to live in fear. It doesn't mean I live free of problem, but I can rest in the faith and the confidence that he knows. Would you take just a moment right where you are? Just stay seated for just a moment. Just bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you today. And for some of us, it's hard to acknowledge that in the midst of all the pain we have experienced, that you have a plan. Maybe we won't even know to the other side of eternity what that plan looks like. But Lord, give us confidence in your providence today to don't worry because we have a Father and He knows. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second, I want you to think on that thing that has driven you to worry. Maybe it's idolatry. That's what Jesus talks about here. Maybe it's just a circumstance or a situation. And could you just say to the Lord, I'm not going to worry because I have a Father, and He knows. Just right now in the quietness of the moment, He's not surprised. Just say to the Lord Jesus right now, I'm not going to worry. I have a Father, and He knows. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want to invite you to come into the relationship with this loving Father who loves you and cares for you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and our prayer partners will actually come forward. You'll see them moving and stand in the front in just a moment when we all stand. And when they do, I want you to notice them and I want you to come and say, you know, I could pray with them. Because if you don't know the Lord, they're here to pray with you. If you just want to pray and commit your life to Christ, come. 
Come to our prayer partners. Let them pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray with someone who can help you to acknowledge that you don't have to worry because you have a Father and He knows. So I don't know your circumstance, but I know your Savior. And He changes everything. Would you stand with me now? Just in the quietness of this moment, we're going to stand in prayer. Father, we stand before you today and we hear the words, Jesus saying, therefore, don't worry, don't be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So, Father, we come before you today not worrying. Don't worry. You have a Father, and He knows. Already our prayer partners are in place, and you can come pray with them. You can pray right where you are. If you need to come to know Christ and have questions, come pray with us. But for all of us, we need to take our eyes off of our stuff, look them afresh and anew on the Savior, because we have a good, good Father. So don't worry. You have a Father. He knows. Let's sing of who He is as we sing that He's a good, good Father.